In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, seeming. So next week, I will not be giving a sermon, because we will have uh, the passions read, and the passions speak for themselves. I can't really give a sermon after the passions were, had been read. Um, and they won't be read in English either. They'll be read just in Latin, so you'll have to follow along in your books while, uh, while the priest is singing the Passion. So I thought today I would give, as a homily, I would, I would explain the different ceremonies during Holy Week. Because the, the Holy Week ceremonies are very special, uh, very um, entailed, and have a lot of signification. And we never get to hear what they all mean. We just go to them and, and just get what we get out of them, and that's it. So I thought that today I would go, and go ahead and explain what the different ceremonies during Holy Week uh, symbolize and what they're, what they're all about. So it begins on Palm Sunday, which is next Sunday. We will begin Palm Sunday in the church this year, as opposed to last year we, be we began outside, but I think for more order we'll begin in, in the church, and uh, we'll bless the palms, and then we will process out, out the side door, and we will go around the church, and then we will enter into uh, the church through the other door. The reason why we have this procession on Palm Sunday is because we are following our Lord, who, um, who is symbolized by the priest, and he is guiding us towards heaven. So uh, we are following our Lord on the path to heaven, like he said. Um, if you wish to come after me, take up your cross and follow me. And then when we get to the door of the church, which, is, which symbolizes the gate of heaven, it's closed. So when we get around to the other side, the doors will be closed. And then the server who has the cross will take the bottom of the cross and knock on the door. And that symbolizes that Christ opens the gates of heaven by dying on the cross for us. And then we enter into heaven, and the choir is inside, and they are singing. And that symbolizes that the angels are in heaven rejoicing that the gates of heaven have been opened, and that the, the blessed can now enter into heaven. So that is Palm Sunday. Then we come to Holy Thursday. Now, Holy Thursday is a... A feast day, which is a good mixture of salt and sugar, if you would. It's a very joyful feast day, and it's a very sorrowful feast day. So on the one hand, you have the white vestments, which is similar to Easter and Christmas. It's a day of great celebration. And the reason why it's a day of great celebration is because that is the day that our Lord instituted the Blessed Sacrament. That was the day we got the Eucharist. That was also the day that we get... The, the priesthood that our Lord made the first priests and bishops and the apostles, and he tells them to do so likewise, and to make other priests and other bishops. So it's a day of great joy, but it's also a day of great sorrow, because on that day, our Lord was betrayed, he was handed over to his enemies, he spent the night in prison, he was spat on, he was led away with chains, and so on. So it's a day of great joy and a day of great sorrow. And this is reflected in the liturgy. So the liturgy starts out very joyful. 
and we have the bells ringing during the Gloria. And then after the Gloria, the bells are silenced because the bells are a joyful tone. They symbolize the angels rejoicing and telling us of the will of God. And so after the Gloria, the bells are silenced and, and we instead we get this wooden clapper thing that tells us when we have to pay attention because we're not supposed to hear the bells until after the resurrection because we are now contemplating the fact that our Lord is going to die. And the cross is going to be covered in, in white, which again is a symbolization of this joyful day. After the gospel, the priest will go and he will do like our, did, our Lord did at the Last Supper and he will take off his chasuble and he will put a towel around himself and he will go wash the feet of 12 of the altar boys. Technically speaking, it should be 12 clerics that will get their feet washed, but in lack of that, we'll, um, we'll have uh, 12 altar servers who will get their feet washed. And there's a little custom that I'm going to add in here, which in some places is done also at, at papal masses, that the priest will bless little bags of coins to give as an alms to uh, the, the young man after um, he washes their, their feet. Just like in, in the papal masses, the, the Pope will sometimes give alms to the poor during his papal masses. Then, as the liturgy progresses, all of a sudden the sorrow kicks in. So when we get to the Agnus Dei, when, when the priest says, um, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us, he doesn't say, grant us peace at the, at the last prayer. And that prayer for peace immediately after the Agnus Dei is omitted because on this night, there is no peace. On this night, it was the night that Christ was betrayed. And so we don't pray for peace on this night. And then, after communion, our Lord is taken away. And we, we lead him in procession to the altar of repose. This is kind of where um, the time doesn't fit into the liturgy anymore. And we place our Lord in the tomb, as it were, as, uh, as those three days that our Lord is in the tomb. And even though he's not dead yet, technically he, he dies on Good Friday, still there are times like this in the liturgy when, when uh, time doesn't fit, any, fit in anymore. And we... Um, it gets overlapped a bit. So we're going to take our Lord in procession to the altar of repose. And our Lord stays there. And we can, we can spend some time with our Lord all the way up until midnight accompanying him in honor of that time that our Lord spent in, uh, in the prison that day. And so we can accompany him so that he is not alone in the prison. Meanwhile, the priests and the service and the rest of you, if you wish, we come back to the church and uh, the priest and the service will start stripping the altar, taking away all the furnishings from the altar um, and leaving the altar absolutely bare and the tabernacle wide open so that we can see that during these next few days, our Lord is absent. Our Lord is not among us anymore. We have killed the Divine Master and He is in the tomb. And He is not with us and we await His resurrection. So the altar is left completely bare the cross is covered in purple again, and the tabernacle door is wide open, the carpet is taken up from the floor, and, and then uh, that is how that ceremony ends, in that tone of sorrow. Good Friday is the next day. 
And Good Friday and Holy Saturday are the only two days in the church's calendar when Mass is not celebrated. Apart from that, there are four elevations every second. Mass is always going on throughout the whole world. But on those two days, no Mass is celebrated in honor of the fact that those are the days that our Lord died and that our Lord was not among us, that our Lord was, was in the tomb. So those two days, Mass is not celebrated. However, we do have a Good Friday liturgy. And during that Good Friday liturgy, several things are done in honor of the fact that that is the day that our Lord died. It begins by the priest coming in and laying prostrate on the floor to symbolize the agony in the garden. Then after a while, he'll get up, very short prostration on the floor, but then he'll get up and the passions are sung and some lessons are sung so that we meditate on the passion of our Lord. Then a crucifix is brought in, a wooden crucifix this time. Um, it specifies that it should be a wooden crucifix. Sorry, I missed a part. After the, after the passions, we have the, um, the intercessory prayers, if you want to call them that, where the priest will come to the middle of the altar and he will pray several prayers for several different categories of people. We'll pray for the catechumens, we'll pray for the rulers, we'll pray for um, the clergy, we'll pray for the faithful, pray for the heretics. There's, a, there's several different groups of people that the priest will pray for. And the reason why is because, like St. Paul says, that when our Lord was on the cross, He was our mediator. And He prayed for all of us. And so just the same way as our Lord prayed for us on the cross, we are praying for these different groups of people during these prayers. After those prayers, a cross is brought in. And the priest bring, uh, the, the deacon will bring the cross to the priest, and the priest will have the cross completely covered. And he'll start off on one side of the altar, on, on the bottom step, and he will only uncover a little bit of the cross. And then he will sing in a low tone, Ecce Lignum Crucis, Behold the Wood of the Cross. This symbolizes that first evangelization that the apostles did. When the apostles were all afraid, our Lord had risen from the dead, but they had not received the Holy Ghost yet, so they would only tell a few of the other disciples, we have seen the Lord. Oh, you saw him too? Tell us about it. Just, just among themselves, and they would stay hiding in the upper room. So it was a very small evangelization that they did that first time. Then we genuflect and we venerate this cross to symbolize or, or in reparation for the outrages that our Lord received in the court of Caiaphas on Holy Thursday. Then the priest will go up the steps and he will uncover more of the cross and he will sing in a, in a higher tone, Behold the wood of the cross. And this symbolizes the evangelization that the apostles did after the, uh, the Holy Ghost came when they would go and preach to all the Jews and they, they made thousands of converts. But still they would only preach to the Jews. And then we kneel down and we venerate the cross in reparation for the offenses that our Lord received in the court of Pilate. And then the third time, the priest comes to the center of the altar and covers the cross completely. And he holds it up higher and he sings in a much higher tone, Behold the wood of the cross. And this symbolizes 
that uh, evangelization that the apostles did throughout the whole world when they preached to all nations. And then this evangelization that the Catholic Church continues to do today, preaching the crucified Lord throughout the entire world. And then we genuflect and we venerate the cross in reparation for the outrages that our Lord received on Calvary. So then at this point, um, and this might be a little shocking if it's the first time you've heard it, um, we, we say that we only adore God. But however, at this moment, the church also tells us to adore the cross. And the reason why we adore the cross, and it's not an idol, but because it is such a close relationship with Christ dying on the cross to open the gates of heaven for us, that it's almost one with Him. So at this point, we, we adore the cross as it is this instrument that God him, Himself uses to give us our salvation. So we'll take our shoes off and we, we go and we genuflect three times. Then we come up and we kneel down and we kiss the cross. And all this time, there's, there's chants going on. The chants are very, very sad chants. I went before you in the desert as a pillar of cloud, and now you brought me to the pillar of Pilate. I gave you wholesome water to drink in the desert, and you have given me vinegar and gall. I opened the sea before you, and you opened up my side. It's a very sad chance while we are venerating the cross. And then the liturgy concludes with the reception of Holy Communion. So that's Good Friday. On Holy Saturday, we have the Easter Vigil, which begins after dark on Holy Saturday. And actually, the actual Mass part will begin around about midnight. So there is no Mass on Holy Saturday, but there is this Easter Vigil. And it begins after dark, so that we can picture ourselves keeping vigil and awaiting our Lord's resurrection in the night, waiting for His resurrection. So there's a fire. There's a fire that started outside. And this fire symbolizes the fact that our Lord is the light of the world. And this He said many times in the Scripture that He is the light of the world. And so the fire is blessed, and the flame from the Paschal, for the Paschal candle is taken from this fire, which is Christ, the light of the world, coming from this fire, which symbolizes Christ, the light of the world. And then the Paschal candle is lit with that fire. And then this flame is carefully taken care of, especially by the sacristan. He makes great pains to take care of this flame. And we keep this flame in the sanctuary lamp. So the flame in the sanctuary lamp that you see right now is the Paschal fire from last year. And then that flame is kept all year long so that Christ is with us in this flame from this Paschal fire all the way up until Holy Thursday when the flame is blown out because our Lord is taken from uh, out of the church because now He is placed in the tomb. So the fire is lit by a flint by stone being rubbed together. And this symbolizes the fact that, that our Lord, when He rose from the dead, the stone was rolled away from the tomb. So it's almost as, as it were that that stone being rolled away from the tomb 
caused that spark. And, and in Christ, the light of the world comes out of the resurrection in this glorious fire. The Paschal candle likewise symbolizes our Lord. It stands alone. All the other candles in the church match up. They, they're paired up. So if you put one candle on one side of the altar, there's a candle on the other side of the altar. But the Paschal candle stands alone. It symbolizes Christ, the pillar of our faith, who stands alone. All the lights in the church are out when Easter Vigil begins. So I'm sure at that time there will be some of you in the church praying and we'll tell you, okay, now you need to leave and we'll turn off all the lights in the church and then we'll go outside to the Paschal Candle. The fact that all the lights in the, in the church are put out symbolizes the end of the old law when the veil of the temple was torn and the old law was over. And then slowly this, this Paschal Candle comes into the church and little by little the lights are, are put back on again. This symbolizes the fact that Christ is the new law in the, new, in this, in the church that Christ came to found, um, evangelizes the whole world, little by little, until it's dispersed throughout the whole world. There are five grains of incense that are placed on this Paschal candle. Those symbolize the, the ointments or the perfumes that Mary Magdalene and the, and the other women were bringing to the tomb to anoint our Lord. So the Paschal candle comes in to the church and three times the, uh, the deacon will stop and he will raise up the candle and he will sing Lumen Christi, Light of Christ. And then each time more lights are gradually lit. So the first time he says that the candle of the priest, the candle of the celebrant is lit off the Paschal candle, no others. And then the second time... He stops, he sings Lumen Christi, and the lights for the altar servers and for the clerics are lit. And then the third time, he sings Lumen Christi, and all the candles of everybody are lit. So, um, so it's like a gradual manifestation of Christ to, uh, to the new covenant, to, to, the, to the church. The first showing of light, if we want to call it that, symbolizes the revelation that Christ gave us of the divinity of God the Father. Our Lord says that, he says in Matthew chapter 11, No one knoweth the Father but the Son, and he to whom the Son pleases to reveal him. The second showing of light symbolizes the world receiving knowledge of the divinity of the Son. So, like St. John says in his Gospel, these things have been shown to you that you might believe and that you might have life in his name. And the third showing of light, or the third Lumen Christi, symbolizes the revelation of the divinity of the Holy Ghost. When our Lord, before the ascension, says to the apostles, go into the whole world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. In Matthew chapter 28. And once the Paschal Candle comes to the sanctuary, the exalted is sung. And it's sung by the deacon. It's interesting, when there's just a priest by himself, which is going to be the case this year with us, I'm just going to be the only the, the, the priest here. We won't have a deacon and subdeacon. But still, before we leave the fire, the priest will take off 
his priestly vestments and put on deacon vestments because he's, he's acting as a deacon. And he sings the exalted as a deacon. This symbolizes the fact that after the resurrection, our Lord didn't appear right away to the apostles and the important people. But he chose Mary Magdalene to be the first that he would appear to. And so the deacon is given the honor to, to sing the exalted of the Paschal candle, even though he's not the important person there. Then there are several prophecies or readings. And these are because we're keeping vigil. We're waiting for the resurrection of our Lord. And then we make baptismal water. And the priest will, will carve a cross into the baptismal water with his hand. This symbolizes that the baptismal water gives us these graces of baptism through the cross of our Lord. Then he will breathe on the baptismal water because the, the graces from baptism come from the Holy Ghost, the breath of God. And then he will place the paschal candle into the baptismal water to symbolize the fact that Christ sanctified baptism and sanctified the waters when he was baptized in the Jordan. And then finally, at the Gloria of the Mass on Holy Saturday, the bells are rung once again, and the, and, and the organ plays again, and all the uh, statues are uncovered again. And um, the lights are all turned on in the church, the, the electric lights are all turned on. Because this is the moment that we, we celebrate the fact that our Lord rose from the dead. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Yeah.